0: Hey, friends, I'm Christine Chaplin. You're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Mike Enlett about his book, Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners Loving Others as God Loves Us. For more help on the topics we discuss today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Dr. Michael Emlett. practiced as a family physician for over 10 years before becoming a counselor and faculty member at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, also known as CCEF. He is the author of the books, Crosstalk, Where Life and Scripture Meet, And Descriptions and Prescriptions, A Biblical Perspective on Psychiatric Diagnoses and Medications. He has also authored several mini books, including Chronic Pain, Angry Children, Help for the Caregiver, and Overeating, When Enough Isn't Enough. Hey there, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today.
1: So glad to be with you, Christine.
0: I am so excited to talk to you about your book, Saints, sufferers, and sinners, loving others as God loves us. Would you spend a few minutes sharing about why you wanted to write this book in particular?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I mean, it arose out of the the challenge of loving one another well. Um, that's uh, the call that God gives us, right? The second great commandment uh, to to love uh, to love others, and that's that's a really tall order, isn't it? I mean, it, people are complex. We are we are also very different Uh, so how do we do that how do we move wisely toward uh toward other people um you know unlike you know things we buy that come with operating instructions people don't come with operating instructions and so how do we how do we move toward them uh in in love you know what is there some unity uh, amidst the diversity um is there What's true of every Christian uh, you meet? What are the essential commonalities between us that that impact the way we we love one another? And what we see in the Bible is that it provides these foundational categories uh, for understanding ourselves and uh, and others. So scripture gives us this basic structure, this trellis, uh, as it were, on which love can uh, can grow and flower in very person-specific ways. And uh, what we see in the Bible is that God uh, God speaks to his people as saints, sufferers, and, and sinners. All three of those are simultaneously true uh, of those in, in Christ, and that begins to shape the way we minister to others.
0: You mentioned in the book that you derive these three broad biblical categories based on observing how God moves towards his people. So can you share a little bit more about that and perhaps offer us a brief definition of what you mean when you use the term saints, sufferers, and sinners?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'll, st- I'll start this way. The, the great uh, biblical theologian, uh, Gerhardus uh, Voss, uh, wrote in his book, Biblical Theology, All that God has disclosed of Himself has come in response to the practical religious needs of His people as these emerged in the course of history, which is just a really neat way of describing Scripture. (laughs) So God tailors His revelation uh, to the needs of His people. What are those needs? Uh, What are the ways in which we struggle to live life in a fallen world? And as believers, we, we struggle, we continue to struggle, really, in three major areas. Uh, the first is that of identity. So we, either, we are either explicitly or implicitly asking the question, who am I? Uh, who am I really? What is, my, what is my purpose? What's my core identity? Um, how do I fundamentally conceive of myself? Uh, what do I highlight when I, when I tell my story? Secondly, we, we struggle with suffering. Uh, We struggle with evil that, that comes at us, whether it's uh, other people um, or the, the situations and circumstances of our lives that are, that are hard. So we're asking the question, how, how do I deal with that evil that comes at me? How do I persevere amidst the, the, the hardships and sorrows of my life? And then thirdly, we, we are all struggling with with sin. We're wrestling with the evil that resides still with within us as as believers. So we're, we we cry out with the apostle Paul: uh, How is it when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand? How 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 do I change? Why do I struggle to live out of my identity in Christ? And so you and I and every redeemed image bearer is wrestling and struggling in those ways and what we see in the pages of scripture is that God is God meets us in those uh, in those struggles so he he approaches us his people as as saints who who need confirmation of our identity in Christ as sufferers who who need consolation in the midst of our affliction, and as sinners who need challenge uh, to our sin in light of God's redemptive mercies. So that's that's what we see in the in the pages of Scripture, and and you know each one of those categories is is true of of us as as believers.
0: Mike, I may reveal a little bit of my heart in saying this, but every time I have written your uh, book title out, like even for preparing for this interview there's something in me that always wants to lead out with sinners first. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it is. Every every time I kept to type it, I was started off as sinners. And so I noticed, though, that you lead off the title with saints and then sufferers and then sinners. Was that an intentional decision? And maybe is there any particular hierarchy of sorts when it comes to these three truths about believers in Christ?
1: Yes, that's. Uh, uh, I think that's a great, uh, great observation. And I would say yes, it, it's the in, in in a sense, it's the most foundational piece. As uh, although as believers, we're simultaneously saints, suffers, and sinners. As I just said, we are first and foremost saints. Mm-hmm. We are our basic identity has has changed. Right, rather than enemies of God we are now his friends rather than uh, living in the domain of darkness we now dwell in in light rather than being slaves and orphans we are now we are now children rather than you know rather than being under wrath for our sins we are we are forgiven cleansed uh, and righteous in Christ we now we now live under his benediction and so that is the most that's the most foundational peace for us as believers our, our identity has changed so ongoing struggle with suffering or sin has to be understood in the context of our of our basic new identity as children of the living god so we are saints who suffer and we are saints who sin but at our core we are we are saints and that's how i would generally advocate approaching other believers in christ right approaching them as saints First, noticing the the good that God has already been up to in their lives, noticing where the Spirit is at work and where they are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, even as we we then move into other you know these other experiences of suffering and sin. I mean, we see the Apostle Paul doing that in all of his epistles, except for Galatians, because the gospel was at stake there, right? But but all, in all of his epistles, he starts with. This is who you are in christ this is what i see that encourages me this is the confidence i have that you will be blameless on the day of, of jesus christ so in that way i think we we model that uh, as we approach other people
0: gosh that's just so you know transformative of our approach to even i'm thinking in terms of just the way i you know engage my children as a, yes. as a parent you know because i cannot honestly say that normally in my interactions i'm leading out with you know, a, a saint <laughs> kind of attitude. Um, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, it's much easier to, to see what's wrong right. rather than rather than what's right. And of course, as parents, we want we want to bring uh, appropriate correction and and biblical discipline uh, in into their lives. But what's what's our what's our foundational approach?
0: Well, maybe building off of that, you know, because this isn't really a, a question that's in the context of parenting and with children. But I think it does weave in a bit in terms of, you know, how what you write in the book relates to our engagement of unbelievers. So this book outlines a model of one another ministry based on how God sees and loves his people as saints, sufferers and sinners. But could you touch on how what you've shared in the book would also help shape the way we move towards unbelievers as well?
1: sure and there are uh, various points in the in the book where where i do that but as you say it's really geared towards how do we approach other other believers i mean certainly only believers can be identified as as saints um but it's really helpful to keep in mind this most foundational biblical category of um that describes all people which is that of image bearers we are god's image bearers and although Sin uh, distorts the image of God. It doesn't. It doesn't erase it. And so that means that um, that I will approach unbelievers in a way that uh, dignifies them as as image bearers. Um, I'll I'll be observant of God's common grace in their lives even as I testify to God's saving grace, you know, urging them to embrace uh, the good news of, of Jesus, the, the forgiveness that he offers. Um, so although unbelievers don't share the, the identity of saint, we do share the experiences of, of suffering and struggle with sin. That is common to, to both believers and, and unbelievers. So in that sense, we're, we're more alike uh, than we are different. Though even there, there are there are some distinctions, right? Like as 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 Christians, we suffer in Christ, right? Paul talks about the 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 fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings. There's something that fundamentally changes, you know, with the cross in in terms of how suffering is transformed in the believers in the believer's life, and. Our relationship with sin, as believers, is fundamentally altered because of the redeeming uh, redeeming work of Christ. Unbelievers don't don't share in that. Even though we can all say we fall short of God's glory, we fall short of our own standards, um, of course, and we experience suffering. So I think there are lots of uh, the the suffering and sin experiences that we share provides an entree into the into the lives of unbelievers and ultimately pointing them to, uh, to Jesus.
0: You write, Mike, early in the book that, quote, it's important to connect our stories as saints, sufferers and sinners with the story of Jesus Christ. Can you explain why that's true?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, keeping Jesus uh, central reminds us that these three categories are not they're not abstract. They're they're actually quite uh, quite relational. Uh, we are saints, sufferers, and sinners who are united uh, with with Jesus Christ. Um, he walked the path of humanity before us. Uh, he literally lived out these expectations. So, or uh, lived out these experiences, I should say. Um, so, in that sense, he is the ultimate saint suffer and you know I'll put in scare quotes uh Mm -hmm. sinner, right? Because he is the sinless one. But I'll I can explain that in just a sec. So he Jesus is the perfect saint, perfect son. He is the he is the son of the living God. He's declared, um, Paul says by his resurrection from the dead as the as the Son of God. He perfectly fulfills what Adam and all of humanity was supposed to do, right? Live as God's stewards of of, of the of the earth for God's glory. Adam didn't do it. Um, Israel couldn't do it. Um, Israel's described all throughout the Old Testament as God's child, as God's son, but Israel couldn't do it. Only Jesus uh, could could do that. So he he when we turn to him, his identity as son, as favored son becomes becomes ours so he's uh he's also the archetypal sufferer, right we see in scripture that he is the man of sorrows that he is the he's the suffering servant and i mean we we normally think of that his suffering as associated with uh, with the cross with his experience uh, of death on the cross, and that 's true but really his entire life was a life of suffering right the incarnation was this uh, this down escalator into the, into the basement of human misery. And Jesus experienced that. And so when, when we suffer as believers, we can turn to him as a, as a brother and friend who understands suffering from the inside. And then he is counted as the, uh, the ultimate sinner, right? Because Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So because of that, we can turn to Him for forgiveness uh, of, of sins. We can rely on His Holy Spirit to empower us uh, to live in keeping with our identity. So that's why these categories are not just kind of abstract, you know, categories, but they're intimately connected in to our relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: Mike, I love that throughout the book you highlight the term ministry priorities. I thought this was just a really helpful way of approaching the way we prioritize the the care that we want to give to people as we meet them where they're at and their problems. Um, and so I wonder what does that term mean? And can you share how the scriptures inform the way we set ministry priorities?
1: Sure. Yeah, I use the I use the term ministry priorities um, to highlight that there's not there's not this step by step algorithm, you know, that God gives us in terms of ministry to others. You know, if a person has X, Y, and Z struggle, then you must do A, B, and C. Um, but what Scripture does do is lay out these these broad priorities um, that that suggest how we. Move towards saints or sufferers or sinners, um, and I'll give an example of that. Um, just with regard to how do we how do we move towards someone mired in sin, caught in sin, and you know in the in the book I look at how Jesus interacts with different uh, folks who are caught in sin. So the the Samaritan woman or the rich young ruler or the or the Pharisees and. What we do is notice the commonalities. What do we see um, arising out of Jesus' ministry? Well, we see what I would say, the, here are some priorities. <laughs> um, we focus on the heart. We want to engage the heart as we move towards people in their sin. Rather than just focusing on behavior, we get, we get beneath the surface. We, we see him doing that with all three, all three groups of folks. Um, we see that love is the motive. For the way we approach people, um, that's explicit in the the rich young ruler, right? After after he says, you know, in Mark in Mark ten, um, yeah, I've kept all these things in the law. Uh, Jesus looks at him and, and loves him, and that that's that's significant. You know, sometimes we we confront people in their sin because they're making life difficult for us, rather than love being the the motivation. Um, and then, you know, Jesus urges repentance. That is. Associated with clear steps of obedience um, for for all of those uh, all of those folks. So again, that becomes a priority for us as we help someone struggling with sin. So that's what I mean by ministry priorities. These are these are broad guidelines that we see from Scripture.
0: I like even too how you uh, reference ministry priorities as just focusing on what's most needed in the moment when you're engaging with someone. And I think maybe we can talk about that a little bit more as we, you know, Mike, it's so hard to narrow down the questions for this conversation because the book is so rich and I wish we could just talk for two hours about it, but we can't. So I think (laughs) what I'm going to do is have us maybe focus in on the category of sufferer for the rest of our conversation, just so that we can give the listeners kind of an idea of how you're approaching and unpacking these particular biblical categories and how we can be wise in our care, like I said, to be mindful of what's most needed in that moment for that person. For starters, would you tell us why we sometimes struggle to minister to sufferers in helpful ways?
1: Sure, I I think there are a variety of reasons uh, why we why we struggle. Sometimes we just haven't listened long enough to fully grasp uh, the extent of someone's of someone's suffering. So we just we you know we jump in before we really have listened and understood. And associated with this, I think, is that we can have a kind of fix it uh, mentality um, that someone's. Shares with us, and I, I, believe me, I've experienced this with my kids. I've experienced this with my wife. You know, they they're sharing a, a trouble, a heartache, a, a hardship, and I jump in, you know, with a with a solution. And and it's not that solutions aren't necessarily helpful. It's just timing is everything. You know, have I have I grasped what they're what they're really talking about, and have I? you know, compassionately walked with them rather than just try to fix it. Um and there are some things that just can't be fixed, this side of, of glory. Um uh, author Zach Eswine and, and he's a pastor as well, talks about the the inconsolable things in this life, the things that simply won't be fully repaired until Jesus returns. So we, we can't have a a fix it mentality. Um so those are those would be a couple reasons. I think uh, sometimes we get uh, tied up or too focused on uh, the sinful ways people are responding in in the midst of their suffering, um, rather than understanding. Wow, this is a process that they're they're going through. Um, I remember in a counseling class I took years ago, we were shown a, a counseling tape of a of a guy that was just very angry and blame shifting and self justifying. And uh, my instructor said, "Okay, your assignment is: what would you do for the second half, you know, of uh, of the session?" And basically, you know, I let him have it. I figured, ah, he, he's 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 blind to his sin. I need to I need to just wail on him with truth. And and my my instructor basically said, "Unless you connect with this man's pain, he's unlikely to come back." And it was a real. Gut punch, in a sense, because I had I had totally missed his hurt. I had totally missed his pain. It's not that he wasn't sinful in some of his responses, but where should we go? Where should we go first? Um, maybe a couple other reasons why we sometimes struggle to minister to helper uh, to sufferers in helpful ways is um, if we've not experienced significant suffering ourselves maybe we'll uh, will minimize what other people are experiencing and i've 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 seen that you know as I've talked with people that they they become more understanding more compassionate of say their their spouse's anxiety when they themselves have begun to struggle with say panic attacks or something like that it's like oh okay now i now I get it um, yeah, and I think maybe if we ourselves are very uh, discouraged and fatigued by the onslaught of suffering in our in our lives and the lives of others, it can be hard, you know, to to continue moving toward others in their in their suffering. So those, those might be a number of reasons why we struggle uh, to move toward sufferers.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you just mentioned that last point, because I just interviewed uh, another guest who wrote a book on eating disorders. And he mentioned about compassion fatigue. So when you're mm-hmm. the person caring for someone who is suffering, whatever it might be, not necessarily in the context of an eating disorder, but whatever the suffering is, that it's, it's compassion fatigue is a real thing, just like you were yep. explaining.
1: Yes. So sometimes that's right. We we need that ministry of the Lord and of others toward us so that we are, we are replenished and be able to, to move towards those who are continuing to struggle.
0: What are some examples of everyday care that communicate an earnest desire to understand a sufferer's unique experience?
1: I think in one sense, the most simple place to begin is our presence. Uh, do we simply sit with people are we are we there uh, for them like i think in the early chapters uh you know in the book of job right his friends sat with him uh for you know for a week um then it went downhill from there when they started when they started speaking but the the presence you know presence often precedes uh, a ministry of a ministry of words um but what else I, I think it's important to to listen uh, listen patiently uh, as people tell their story it's important as as we hear them to ask uh, to ask questions and not just you know necessarily fact based questions but questions that uh, that help you understand how are they experiencing uh their their hardship um, you know some some questions may not be as helpful or right? you know like what is God teaching you like That's not an inappropriate question, but sometimes, particularly if it's you know, that can move almost in a fix it kind of direction. Like, um, have you have you learned your lesson yet? My my colleague Ed Welch has said about that has said about that question. Um, I think uh, you know the question what um, what would be most helpful right now is a question that that cuts both ways, right? On the one hand, it can I found that sometimes. Yeah, people really appreciate your humility in terms of not, um, you know, not assuming what they need. So it gives them the freedom to say what would be most helpful. But I've also found some people that feels like an overwhelming question because they're so, you know, in the midst of sin. It's like I, I don't know what would be most helpful. So I think more often what I'm, what I tend to do is make a suggestion. Would you know? Would making a meal, you know, be helpful, or would you know picking up your children after school be helpful, or something like that? They can they can say no, and and something else might be more helpful. But at least you know they're, uh, you know, I'm not assuming what would be helpful, nor I'm putting the entire burden on them to come up with what's uh, what's helpful. I, I think you know another way. Um, to uh, to move toward people is simply to to pray uh, pray with them like again that's a natural follow-up to hearing their story um, and and pray simply not some you know lengthy kind of dissertation but pray simply Lord, you hear the cries of my friend uh, and you move towards those who who suffer. would you move toward her right now that that kind of prayer um, so and then you know, providing practical help, uh, when, uh, when it's, uh, when it re- really would be, um, an important thing, uh, is, you know, we, we, are concentrating in a sense on conversational, uh, ministry to, to one another, but, um, but practical help is, is a critical piece of what it means to move towards sufferers.
0: Right. Well, maybe that was kind of a general approach to just meeting someone in the moment, um, walking, you know, alongside them through a particular challenge or or bad day even that they're having. Um, But I wonder if maybe we can take a minute to boil it down to maybe more of a counseling context. Can you Mm -hmm. offer us a counseling example of what it looks like to care for a sufferer the way God models for us in his word? Sure.
1: Uh so I'll, I'll speak about uh, a woman named Ruth who's in her uh, mid uh, mid 70s. She's a a widow um for for a number of for a number of months following a a lengthy decline of health in her husband with uh, with Alzheimer's. So she you know, she came into counseling very weary and um and one of the things that we that we realized is that she she was hesitant to talk about the toll that it had taken on her. She was hesitant to express her grief. She almost felt guilty in in doing that. And so one of the things, I think one of the most important things that we can do in walking with a sufferer is to help them learn to lament. Um, and so, I mean, God himself gives us words to speak back to him. And we see that uh, particularly in the Psalms. Uh, the the lament psalms are the the largest category of psalms in the in the psalter, and so that was a place that we went. We uh, there are lots of places you could go in the psalms, but one of the places we went was uh, was Psalm seventy seven, which was one of my one of my favorite psalms. And we just we basically just walked uh, walked through it together, and she she was able to see how um, how honest the the psalmist was in terms of expressing his grief and his questions, and at the same time, making that turn towards entrusting himself to the Lord, looking in that particular psalm to what God had done in the Exodus in in rescuing his people. And and we talked, Ruth and I talked about how now we have, as believers, this privilege of looking back to see what God has done in Jesus Christ. And, And it's not just a past event. It's present tense because the Lord has given us his, his Holy Spirit. Um, so those were, those were some of the places that we, uh, that we went and that, that gave her, that gave her a voice, uh, to grieve and a voice to, to talk about her, her trials and her hardships.
0: Mike, I have a question that's just coming off the top of my head, but, and so I'm going to give it to you and you can choose not to answer it if you don't want to. But, you know, I think as humans, we like neat and tidy categories, right? I want to treat someone as the sufferer or just as the saint or just as the sinner. And so it will take practice and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know how to kind of maneuver in our care between those categories or do we not even maneuver between the categories i guess i'm thinking from the listener's perspective how do we know when someone who is suffering needs to be challenged or how do we know when mm-hmm. I mean, just can you offer some insight about yeah. that
1: yeah i think you're asking a really important question because there is it, these these three categories in in real life are not generally sequential right like mm-hmm. we spend you know this amount of time on mm-hmm. saints then we <laughs> suffer so you're really highlighting that we in a sense in our in our relationships uh, and formal and informal ministry move kind of seamlessly between them and so in a in a given conversation, we might be encouraging someone in their uh, in their standing in Christ we might be. Um, sympathizing with them in the midst of affliction, we might say, you know, I've noticed something here, you know, that, that's uh, that's moving in the direction of sin. So I do think it's something that we that we need to be prayerfully uh, considering as we're as we're talking with someone. Like, what it it's right to pray, Lord? What is most needed right now? What would a word in season look like? And so. I would say that's really going to vary, you know, from person to person. But I would say if you're if you're constantly or only kind of focused on one of those three uh, categories in your in your relationships, then there's probably there's probably imbalance.
0: So do we need to be aware of any particular dangers in overemphasizing one biblical category over the other?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. We we want to be careful, whether it's in our own lives or in our, you know, in our ministry to others, that we're not just, you know, treating people or approaching them as one or even two of those of those three. So. I'll just I'll mention a couple things for each of them what overemphasis could look like. So I mean earlier we talked about how critically foundational it is uh the the fact that we are saints. But even that right could be overemphasized. Um, so I and I've seen this where um someone I'm I'm thinking about I, I I approach them carefully I think about an issue of sin in their in their lives and this person said, don't put me under the law, I'm a child of the king. And it was, and I was kind of taken aback uh, because it's like, well, it's a a both and. Yes, uh, you're a child of the king and you still struggle with sin and that's what I was gonna talk about. Um, So I think sometimes when we overemphasize being a saint, we can minimize wrongdoing and responsibility. And maybe a second piece would be is if we are just focused on wow, this is who we are in Christ and the, the joy of the Lord in that, sometimes that can fail to connect with the brokenness and suffering in, in people's lives. So I think those those would be some problems with imbalance there. What about um, over-emphasi- overemphasis on, um, on suffering? I think sometimes people can develop a victim mentality as though—I mean, God— clearly has a heart for those who are victimized, who have experienced hardship. Um, so it's, it's not that that's unimportant, it's just that when our suffering becomes the, the sun around which our entire life orbits, that's, that's problematic. So a victim mentality, um, that could be associated then with this exclusive focus on, um, on escaping suffering. Again, there's nothing wrong with seeking to relieve suffering. We see that that's one of the agendas of Jesus as he as he ministers. Right, he's relieving suffering, um, but we also see in the New Testament that God is in the business of transforming and redeeming suffering in the lives of believers. And so, um, you you miss that if all you're focused on is is suffering, and that too you can minimize responsibility and wrongdoing. Like if all that matters is my is my suffering, then sure if I, you know, if I speak to you harshly in the midst of my suffering, that's not that's not such a big deal. Um and then ultimately I think if we're overemphasizing suffering, where's the hope? You know, is there what's the what's the way through this? And then lastly, the you know, we how can we overemphasize uh being being a sinner? Uh when we do that, we're focused only on what needs to change, you know, rather than it'd be like, again, the, the Apostle Paul starting first Corinthians without those first nine verses and just saying, here's here's what you guys are doing wrong, you know, like, um, so this is what needs to change. Um, and I think sometimes associated with that is a really negative view of God, like if if it's only and always about what's wrong and what needs to change, it starts to get transferred into this very negative um glowering, you know, disfavor of God, as opposed to, no, we we live under his benediction, that actually frees us up to address issues of sin in our lives. Um, What else can the imbalance do there? I think it might mean when we approach sufferers that we're focused more on instructing them rather than than lamenting uh, with them. And maybe one last imbalance there is that we if we're only if we only have eyes for sin, maybe we're going to be really focused on concrete rules and behavior that that miss the heart. So, so I do think it's it's possible to be imbalanced uh, in any of those three.
0: Wow, those are really great points that you brought up. Thank you for taking the time to touch on those. And of course, you offer all of this and much much more in the book. And um, so we only have time for one more question. I'd like to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. Now, there may be someone listening today who is involved in one another care ministry. What would you say to this person to refresh their heart in Christ as they seek to emulate his love for saints, sufferers, and sinners?
1: Sure. Well, what what comes to mind, actually, are, are Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll read this. This is verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we have this incredible privilege of walking with uh, our brothers and sisters, and sometimes that can be very uh, taxing and and overwhelming, and we feel inadequate. And this this passage really encourages me that the the source of that of that comfort is not is not myself, it's not we ourselves, but it is it is the God and Father of of mercies, and so. Um, I just would leave that with you in terms of the the comfort flows downhill from from the Lord Himself. We are, you know, we are partners uh, with with Jesus Christ, both in His suffering and His His comfort, and we have this privilege of bringing the very comfort of Jesus to others.
0: Thank you so much mike for those words of encouragement that is one of my favorite passages in the scriptures and so i'm really thankful that you touched on that as is psalm 77 so um yeah great great (laughs) stuff and i will also say i was going to ask you to say that story about the anger you know observation video and your homework and you shared that too so the holy (laughs) spirit is is moving among this conversation (laughs) it's really great um well I want to let you go. I know you are super busy, but before I do, there may be someone listening who would love to get connected with you, your ministry, the various resources that you have available. Where can they find you online?
1: Sure. Uh, the best place to go is uh, is CCEF's website, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. That's uh, ccef.org. Uh, and so you can find a whole host of uh, of resources by by myself and by others, uh, my other colleagues at CCEF.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This conversation was really rich. I would encourage a listener, if you are interested in getting a copy of Mike's brand new book, uh, you can scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, and that will take you to a page on IBCD's website where you can access that information and also get links to Mike's work at CCEF as well. Mike, thank you again so much for joining us for this conversation. I've been just super encouraged by reading this book and hearing you speak about it today. And I hope the listener has been as well.
1: Thank you, Christine. It's been a real joy to be with you.
0: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.